Hey guys, Paul Rick here. Welcome back to the Baseball Bad Show. Uh, on the road, on location, driving through the great state of Connecticut, which is home to one of my all-time favorite pitchers, Chris Yanella. So, in today's episode, I'm going to talk about something that, um, when I say it, I get a lot of pushback. I've had angry arguments. Um, probably the best reaction I get is kind of a awkward turn of the head, like, hmm, really? I get that reaction a lot. And that's the career of Clayton Kershaw, which I think is a failure. Now, before you have your reaction, let me explain. Because I'm looking at it in terms of what I'm teaching my pitchers. So, first of all, let me get this out of the way. I think Clayton Kershaw is an unbelievable human being. He is a great member of society as a whole, especially in the sports society. I think he's a great role model. Um, he is a Christian, so am I, so I connect with him on that level. Um, I think he's an honorable, you know, competitor, good sport. I think as a genetic athlete, I think he's one of the greatest um, pitchers as far as, uh, you know, just kind of God-given genetics that maybe, you know, at least in the top 10 of all time, I would think. As a competitor, he is a fierce competitor, right? Just unbelievable competitor. I love watching him pitch. And if I were a manager coaching game seven of the World Series, and um, I'd probably want him to pitch it. Now, having said that, when I say that his career is a failure, I'm looking at it through the eyes of how I teach my students. So we would all agree that the last few years, Clayton Kershaw has been struggling. He struggled with injuries, struggled with some performance. Um, some may say he had a bounce back year last year. He was 12 and three. Well, if you look closely, um, 11 of those wins were from teams that were 500 or less. And again, I'm not, not taking away anything. Hear me out. Hear me out. So we would all agree that his career's kind of on the decline. We would also probably agree that a pitcher like Jacob deGrom, his career is probably either it's at its peak, right? He's had some, some issues with durability for sure, but he's at his peak or he's still kind of on the upside. Well, one of the statistics comparing those two pitchers, which is probably the most telling, is they're the same age. Clayton Kershaw and Jacob deGrom are the same age. And yet, Jacob deGrom is kind of still either at the peak or, or upswing of his career, just signed a huge contract. And Clayton Kershaw is clearly on the downside of his career, and he just signed a contract that I think was like one year, $17 million. Now, one... You know, Clayton Kershaw's made quite a bit of money in his career. So some may say, like, how much money does a guy need? But when you look at his contemporaries of Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander signing contracts in excess of $40 million for multiple years, um, I kind of don't care how much money you, you have. If the market has uh, set what is a fair wage for your services, you don't want to get one-third of what pitchers that are, you are in the same conversation as uh, are, you know, are getting. And it's not like if there was a market for him at $40 million, um, I got to believe that he'd have taken it. And if there was that market, I got to believe if he was really that type of competitive dominant pitcher, I can't imagine the Dodgers wouldn't fork over the money because certainly the Dodgers could afford it. So let me explain to you. Just another good exercise is to, is to look at pitchers from previous generations at around 34, 35. Look at Johnson, Martinez, Maddox, Glavin. Smoltz, uh, Johnson, Clemens. Look at, from the years before, look at Carlton, Blylevin, Seaver, Ryan, 
look at their statistics and production leading up to the same moment that uh, Clayton Kershaw is in. So how I look at it is I see that Clayton Kershaw from a, a beacon of society, A+. Plus. Competitor, A+. Plus. Genetic talent, A+. Plus. Mechanics, C-. minus. Now, it's, and, and here's why. I think mechanically, he's just, he's got his own unique mechanics. I don't believe they're sound. Um, I know why he does them. I know, I know why, because he gets just a better um, action on his curveball, but he certainly paid the price. Now, this is not a scientific um, kind of quote, what I'm about to say, but in general, it's been researched that a 20% reduction in uh, mechanical efficiency at the early part of the delivery or the lower half of the delivery will equal uh, one third more work that the arm has to do. So if you look at Clayton Kershaw, he's got that funky thing. It throws off his direction towards home plate. It throws off his landing. It causes him to get less out of his lower half. And he has to do more of the work with his upper half and his arm. And he's got to put his, um, his pelvis and hips in, in really weird positions. And you see that he's got all these injuries that are kind of, that kind of go right along with that um, inefficient movement. Now, if you look at kind of his career, why I say it's a failure. It's hard to say. I don't know how many Cy Youngs he's won, right? A couple of Cy Youngs and World Series. And, um, you know, certainly he's given us some great moments. And he's made, I don't know, probably three, four hundred million dollars. Why I think it's a failure is because I think he should be at the peak of his career still. I think he should be within the next year or two putting the finishing touches on 300 wins because he was certainly on a team that could have provided him the offensive support to win that many games in a day and age where a lot of pitchers don't get that. He certainly would have had the clout to stay in games long enough to get a win if he was pitching well. Um, and I think he should have, uh, his career should be regarded as one of the top five pitchers of all time. Because there aren't many pitchers that have that type of ability, end up in a situation like the Dodgers, um, and just have the best of both worlds where you have great ability and you also have a team that can back you. So how I see his career as a failure, I see it as compared to his potential. So if you see that, you know, that he had, he had mechanical inefficiencies that caused him to have to use his arm let's just say again, not, this is not a scientific analysis, 33% more. So essentially he paid a buck 33 per pitch when his contemporaries are paying less than that. And some of the greatest pitchers, pitchers like Maddox and Nolan Ryan and Seaver and um, Johnson, and, and those guys paid a dollar per pitch. And again, it's not, it's not science, but it's, if you look at his careers, and I think this is entering his 15th year, if you look at his career versus the career of what his contemporaries had, those guys had 20 plus years. And if you look at it, he's he's getting about one third less of a career than those pitchers because he's paying 33 cents more per pitch than they did. And his body's breaking down because of it. So it's kind of like everybody else is buying at a dollar. He's buying at a dollar 33 and his body can't sustain that. So now, why would I say it's still a failure when the guy's had all this success? Because he got 70 percent of his potential. Now, for the players that I coach. They are not born with Clayton Kershaw potential. They are not born with that ability, that amazing DNA. So their genetic ceiling may be college, maybe to play at division one level. I don't want them to get 70% of that and maybe play at lower levels. If they're, if they're division three um, level or junior college level potential, I don't want them not to make it out of high school. 
because they had a, they paid a higher price per pitch and they only got 70% of their potential. So when I say his career is a failure, I say it with, with as, more, as much respect as I could have for any player. But I also say it in disappointment. And I don't, I don't know how he feels about it. I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've never met the guy or anything. Um, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he's just say hey, this is what he wanted and that's it. That's fine. That's fine. But but I have kids coming to me that I have a lot of kids who've mimicked his delivery and mimicking his delivery without having his genetic ability is really um, not going to be a good plan. Let me give you an example and how I explain genetic um, genetic advantages. Let's say LeBron James was in an NBA game. And he, he's at the top of the key, and he decides, I'm going to take this ball to the hoop. All those defenders are there. I'm just going to drive the ball to the hoop, and I'm going to stuff it. I'm going to put it in the basket. Now, I watch LeBron James do that, me, right? I watch LeBron James do it. I go into the same game, and I decide I'm at the top of the key. I'm going to take it to the hoop against all these NBA defenders. I'm just going to stuff it home. Well, I know how it ends with LeBron James. He puts the ball in the bucket, or at least it's close. Uh, I know how it ends for me, right? Probably gonna be the worst day of my life, right? Because I don't have LeBron James, 6'10", powerful, athletic, muscular, explosive body and, and all his athletic ability to be able to power through other people, right? I'm genetically limited by my size, my speed, my agility, my, my explosiveness. That's just the way it is, right? So I, even though I did the exact same moves as LeBron James, I got a very different outcome because of our genetic gifts. So my concern is when kids are mimicking a player and they think there's some success formula there in the way they move, it's an incomplete equation. They're taking out that genetic part. So my thing is I'm looking at, I think Clayton Kershaw, we should be watching one of the greatest pitching careers of all time, not of our lifetime, not of our lifetime, which it clearly is, not taking anything away from him. But we should be watching one of the greatest pitchers of all time uh, pitching. I mean, really, really all time, like in the all time um, greats, top five. And I think we're getting short of that. I think we've got robbed of a few years of watching him pitch at, at a peak level. Um, and, and I just don't want my kids, the players that I coach, to get 70% of their genetic potential because they misunderstood um, a certain part of baseball instruction and pitching mechanics. So that's it for today. Um, also too, we uh, launched a new coaching program called Virtual Velo. And it's uh, it goes into all how I work with kids virtually to help them improve their velocity. Um, this is a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty uh, bold move on my part, if I don't say so myself, because I'm kind of putting my money where my mouth is. I'm actually booking the sessions with people and then not asking anyone to pay anything up front the session only after I deliver on all my promises, because um, basically what I promise is I'll show your kid where three to four, five miles per hour is in his just making adjustments to high velocity mechanics. Um, I'll show him uh, a part of his ability to become a fierce competitor. Um, and so all of those are, you know, in, inside of an hour is a pretty big promise. Um, and uh, virtually, right, it, we're not always sure exactly how that works, right? It's, it's not what we're traditionally used to. So um, I understand there's some some skepticism to someone who may want to do virtual instruction. So I want to make that really easy. I want to prove to people what's possible, what can be done. And also, too, to give people access to um, 
high level coaching. So you can, um, if you get my, uh, our, our emails, you can, you, you'll see at the bottom of the email. If you want information on that, just send me an email at paulreddick at gmail or, um, uh, that's probably the best way. I put virtual velo, um, in the subject line and I'll send you over all of the information. So, um, and my email's in the show notes, but it's paulreddick at gmail.com. Um, all right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode. Take care.